Have you ever been knocked down and found it hard to get up? Have you ever been knocked down and bounced back to come back even stronger? Hi, I'm Gaurav Bhagat and you can call me GB and welcome to the Smash Bashed Yet Not Dashed podcast. A fortnightly podcast where I speak about persistence, perseverance and overcoming the odds to come out ahead. Welcome back to the Smashed Bashed Yet Not Dashed podcast. I have the pleasure of introducing yet another superstar today, author, scriptwriter, columnist, YouTuber, and someone who has so many other feathers in her cap. Ladies and gentlemen, I give you the very talented Advaita Kala. Advaita, great to have you on the Smashed Bashed Yet Not Bashed podcast. Thanks, Gaurav. It's a pleasure to be here. We've been trying to do this for a bit, and I'm glad that we finally... Um, what should we say? Got our diaries <laughs> on the same page. <laughs> so it's lovely to be here. True that. We have indeed been trying to schedule this for a very, very long time. And boy, do you keep yourself very, very busy as well. So what's been happening with you in recent times? I mean, it has been a while since we actually caught up. So let's hear what's been happening with you. Uh, well, you know, I mean, with COVID, things have been, uh, you know, strange for most of us. Uh, not so much for me, because as you know, I'm a writer. So, so you know, I write films and fiction and <laughs> columns and all of that. So uh, life for me has been pretty normal. Uh, in fact, I quite enjoy having COVID as an excuse not to go out because I love to be home. I'm a homebody. And uh, I have now a legitimate excuse to not be out without seeming weird. So that's that's what I've been doing. I've been home mostly, unless, you know, you have to get out for certain things. But for me, life hasn't changed that much. Uh, what it has done uh, in the last year or so is that I've started YouTubing, like you said in your introduction. And I think it's a great way uh, to connect with people and to um, like-minded people and to discuss things that that you find interesting without having to uh, increase your carbon footprint. <laughs> and just in case you're all wondering, uh, where do I know Advaita from? Well, we actually go back 27 years when she left Wellams and I left Sanaa, and we both found ourselves in the same school in the 11th grade, DPS Matra Road in New Delhi. And I never thought I'd go to DPS, by the way. When I was younger, I remember going over the Oberoi flyover and, and laughing, you know, at DPS. And uh, lo and behold, uh, one day we both ended up at that particular school. <laughs> yeah. And uh, I mean, I have to say, I mean, those two years, I didn't quite expect them uh, to be as uh, transformative as they were. And you're right, you know, we kind of the first time we met, we were like, what the hell are we doing here? And slowly, slowly, uh, it sucked us in. And I think uh, we made like uh, um, some of our closest trips times, quite honestly, lifelong trips. I mean, take you, for example, me and Nikhil and Vishesh. I mean... We're still in touch after all these years. And yes, we did make some good friends there. Nikhil, Vishesh, Aman, Devika, to name a few. So yes, we had some good times. Let's hear about some of your fond memories from those times, those days. You know, Gaurav, I have the worst memory. I've realized this with the passage of time. I have the absolute worst memory. I don't remember anything, which is great because I don't hold grudges. There's the unpleasant things. Uh, with me because I have such a bad memory I uh, 
tend to remember um, not much. <laughs> and usually, I mean, it's, it's usually pleasant. Uh, the one thing I do remember is that picnic we all went for. And Nikhil put his arm around the cop when we were pulled over because obviously we were underage and driving rashly and all of those horrible things that young people do. And uh, I've never been so scared in my life because the cop said, I'm going to throw you in jail. And Nikhil always thought that he was quite urbane and sophisticated and the man of the world. And we were like the school kids, right? And he'd also, hadn't he repeated the year? <laughs> so, you know, yeah. In those, so, so he was like a year older as well. And, uh, uh, you know, it was it was just so scary because the cop was ready to, like, haul all of us off to jail because of him. And uh, I don't know. How, how do we get out of that? I can't recall. Again, probably somebody calls somebody. And, and that's really how it works in Delhi most of the time, right? Somebody knows somebody who knows somebody. So that's probably how we got ourselves out of that mess. Mm-hmm. So, and then the yeah. other was significant was when we went swimming at the, was it the New Friends uh, pool yeah it was a new friends club pool yeah we all went swimming and i remember that was the day i got to know about my scholarship to the u.s so that like really stands out in my mind as a very special day and yes we did have some great times and it has been a while well i mean you know i mean those were those were school times and then we of course had the 20s as well you know i remember coming back from college in the u.s and you always had time to go for a matinee show of a film. And I couldn't quite understand it because you were hardly going to college, were you? Or you don't want Uh, me to say that. So college didn't happen for us. And I think uh, that was the best part about Bhagat Singh that for all of us who went there, um, college didn't ever hold too much for us. And then we used to go to uh, even that place, Fireball, on 32nd Milestone, remember? And, Mm -hmm. and, And I live in Gurgaon now, but... But at that time, it seemed like we were driving into the boonies, you know. It was so far out. Yeah, and today that's the heart of Gurgaon, so to speak. I mean, it's in, uh, it's incredible, really, you know, how, how the city has changed, um, how so many things have changed. True that. So, yes, fond memories. And speaking of stories, you've written some amazing books, Almost Single being one of them, and also movie scripts for Anjana Anjani and Kahani in 2010 and 2012. Uh, For the latter, you even won some awards. So to our viewers, uh, you know, I think they'd really be interested and listeners both would really be interested in the importance of storytelling and how this skill can really help individuals in their personal capacity uh, to do more. So let's hear about storytelling and its importance. Sure, sure. I mean, you know, I've always enjoyed reading and, uh, you know, I I always say I'm like a uh, a closet introvert in that sense, you know, because I come across as like social and all of those things. And I am those things as well, but obviously with people I know very well, not in general. And uh, so reading was a refuge for me for a long time. And so was writing. Uh, but writing was, of course, something that was more private and uh, it wasn't really something you could earn a living from. And I didn't actually anticipate uh, receiving the kind of success that my work did in the public domain. And uh, it was always on the side. And going out and publishing my first novel was essentially, you know, I have nothing to gain, nothing to lose sort of situation. And I was still, I was at a job. And this is what I tell young writers who come to me for advice all the time that, you know, keep your day job, like don't quit, uh, you know, a starving artist or a starving writer is very romantic in a film or on the pages of a book. But actually living that life can be 
offer. So, you know, I always say keep your day job and then write. And for me, I think uh, almost single, the success it enjoyed, it got published internationally. Uh, it sold over two and a half lakh copies in India, was something I certainly didn't expect. You know, I didn't go out there thinking that this book is going to be a huge bestseller. That's what happened. And when that happened, it led to uh, film offers. And uh, it's been all very organic, Gaurav. One thing has led to the other. Uh, the writing process for me has remained unchanged because it remains a very solitary activity, something that you do on your own. Of course, films are far more collaborative because you may have another writer on, you may have a producer, director who wants to get more involved in the storytelling aspect. So it tends to be more collaborative. And now with web series, uh, you have proper writing rooms that are set up. So that's changed. But essentially, the writing journey was something that was very organic. So I always say that it's who I am, not necessarily what I do. And there's a distinction there. And I also thought that the point that you mentioned that don't let go of your day job and uh, don't let go of what you do professionally when you are chasing your passion, because I think that's a mistake that a lot of people make. And when it doesn't pay off for them, then what happens is that they tend to get uh, kind of bitter and then they almost start hating the choices that they made. So very, very important. The thing is that in the creative field, in the writing field, there's a lot of rejection. Right. So agents can reject you. Producers can reject you. Editors can reject you. So when you face that rejection, I still face it. You know, let's be real. Uh, I still face it. And and uh, despite the success and the awards, et cetera, et cetera, it's still a very much part of my life. So I always say that, you know, have more than one. Have you, don't have your eggs all in one basket, you know, have more than one basket, you know, do be doing different things. Uh, if you're writing a web series, then write a novel at the same time. Do your column writing if you're in in current affairs or politics or any of those things. You know, just have your in different baskets so that you're not let down when you face rejection because rejection is such an integral part of this process of this line of work. So almost like have multiple flows of income. So don't have all your eggs in one basket. Awesome. So some of the things to keep in mind when crafting and creating a great story. Things to keep in mind, uh, you know, I feel um, for me, it's been very organic. You know, it has on some level been linked to what I'm going through in my life. So, um, for example, Almost Single was at a stage in my life, you know, when being single or being married were, were really, uh, you know, preoccupations. You know, you track that stuff, you pursued it, all of those things. Uh, when Kahani happened, Kahani was a direct consequence of uh, 2611 because I come from a hotelier background, as you know, and uh, there was these terrible, terrible attacks in which uh, people I knew were caught up, uh, people I knew died. I'm a hotelier by trade, uh, in case uh, your audience is wondering why I'm so connected to that. So it was very traumatic for me. And I felt an impotence that I think many people in India did at that point of time. It was also... Um, an attack which was uh, being telecast live on TV. I remember it carried on for three days. I couldn't drink, I couldn't eat, I couldn't sleep. I was just, you know, staring at the TV, switching channels and just crying. And that impotence kind of fueled Kahani because I said, you know, what if um, 
I know vigilantism isn't cool and <laughs> that's not the message here, but it came from a very honest place in the sense that I felt that if one could have at that point of time, you know, um, picked up a gun and gone in there, uh, one probably would have. And so that's where Kahani came from. So a lot of times uh, something, uh, it, it, something, a big incident or a, or a phase of life, it may trigger a story. You know, it may, and and I think for writers, especially for me, uh, writing is a way of reconciling my worlds, you know, with my inner world. Does that make sense? You know, so uh, so you know, making sense of what's happening in the world around me and how I'm processing it as an individual, how I'm dealing with an emotional something that writing does for me. Of course, I fictionalize it and and I stay true to entertaining people. Uh, for whatever that's worth. But I, I think for me, our storytelling has always been a very personal journey. And uh, there's a lot of me in the stories. You know, it may be obvious or it may not be obvious because, you know, we live different lives in different ways and different times. Uh, so that's, yeah, so it's it's very intimate. Yes, that's very interesting because, I mean, when Almost Single did come out, the first thing that struck me is that, is this semi-autobiographical, right? Because it did seem like it had that theme. And then Kahani, I didn't know about that part. So thank you for sharing that. And yes, you did have a stint at the Oberoi's. Yeah. So when I went to the Oberoi and and uh, Calcutta, and, and remember, I, I, it was quite a... You know, Kolkata is a city which can really impact you. You have roots in Kolkata. So you probably, yeah. yeah. So you, you know, were familiar with it. But when I went, I came back from the US, if you recall. And then I went straight to Kolkata. So it was so drastic for me because for these four years, I had been immersed in this different world. And when you go to Kolkata, it literally slaps you in the face right it's not a city that you can be unmoved by because the poverty it stares back at you uh the the city kind of peeling and falling apart stares back at you and yet there is the beauty of the culture and the food and the conversation and the intellectualism so you know it's it's a city that really moves you in very profound ways so i think i think for me kolkata in kahani became a character in the story, because uh, again, it was a lonely time and the city was animated in such a way that, uh, you know, I almost was walking with the city and, you know, and, and, and inhaling it and experiencing it in a very visceral way. And that's why I think uh, Kolkata became, became a character. Oh, it showed. And that is why the movie did remarkably well. And yes, uh, when you were speaking right now, uh, something came to my mind right now, and that is pertaining to writer's block and sometimes procrastination. Because when you do go so deep and know, you know, your motivation and your drivers are so connected and so deep, doesn't that sometimes lead to writer's block? Uh, You know, just procrastinating on what you should be doing on future projects. So your advice uh, for people on actually overcoming that? Oh my God, mine is not so much writer's block as it's procrastination. And maybe you can help me with that. (laughs) No, you should do that for me about time because because I have an idea a minute. You know, while sitting here, I'll have an idea. I have like a a hyperactive mind. Uh, So I'll have an idea a minute and then I'll want to do all of it. 
right? So I'll be like, oh, I can do this and I can do that. And I can, I can then work on this idea. Like, and I'm actually at this point where I'm like, I don't know which one to start on. Yeah. And starting for me is really tough. Right, right. You know? Yeah, yeah. I completely admit. Getting started uh, is for me the tough part. Um, and I see this with a lot of people. You know, what happens is that there are a lot of ideas and, and what's very important is to actually capture them and, of course, start prioritizing and then, uh, most importantly, go out there and act on them. Uh, mine is really more uh, procrastination than writer's block because... Um, <clears throat> sorry <clears throat> i'm really i'm really excited about an idea and a lot of writers will tell you this that an idea writes itself in its in your head even before you get it down on paper so you know in my mind i'm always like trying to crack the story even if i'm like sitting you know somewhere <laughs> you know in a yeah, cafe yeah, or yeah. something uh you know i may look like i'm doing nothing but uh, but and i may be like uh staring at something or or just sitting there but my mind is working right so that's 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 one thing and um, the challenge really is be able to get started one uh, secondly is um, you know to prioritize what to do first and uh, the immediacy of things because all of these seem immediate you know all of them are things that i want to do and then uh, I keep procrastinating, procrastinating, and time passes. And then I end up like saying, oh, I didn't really do any of them. And then by then I'm flooded with another slew of ideas. So this is, this is for me the challenge. The challenge for me is not so much the writer's block, but it's prioritizing and uh, getting things done because, because then I'm just in a world. I know this is supposed to be inspiring, but I'm probably uh, <laughs> telling people that. I think what you mentioned out there is very, very important. And, and this is what 95% of people are going through. There is some great thoughts, uh, there are some great ideas, but they just don't know how to take it forward. And they struggle with execution and implementation. And thank you for putting it out there. I know sometimes people beat themselves up, you know, but you needn't do that. Uh, you know, it's, it's human. It's actually human nature. Are you are you going to give me a uh, give me classes or whatever the pep talk and the leadership coaching and all of that? Too? I'll, I'll do even better. I'll invite you to my event on the twenty seventh of November, where we will be tackling exactly this point. Twenty seventh of November. My God, why don't you take another three months? Talk about procrastination. Uh-huh. <laughs> where is it? Yeah, it's going to be at the Crown Plaza in Delhi. It's already pre-booked up, but I uh, would love to have you come in as well. So, I, so, so in my mind, I'm thinking I've got till now the 27th of November to decide to do anything. See how it works? <laughs> yeah, totally get that. So tell me about your new avatar as a broadcaster and YouTuber and the thoughts behind Kahali and what you're intending to do there. Well, you know, I've been coming on TV for like a decade plus now. I'm, I'm you know, and, and I guess I'm now one of the serious uh, senior commentators. Uh, and uh, I've been doing it for a while. I've seen uh, the decline in, um, you know, mainstream media dialogue and discussion and conversation, you know. Uh, now you kind of are worried that, oh God, you know, is it going to get out of hand? Are people going to be screaming? Is, is anything going to come of it? Because so often nothing ever comes of it. And you sit for an hour and you get to speak for maybe 40 seconds, you know, in the entire hour. So you don't really get that much out of it. And I've also realized that a lot of people have tuned out of news TV. 
Uh, it's amazing. Uh, and this is just anecdotal, but it holds true for many people is when initially when I used to come on TV, you know, friends, family used to watch and, you know, get back to me and give me feedback or, or, you know, be engaged in the whole idea of, you know, uh, knowing someone who's coming on TV and being able to talk to them about issues that's completely stopped. Like nobody cares <laughs> at all. At all. And, uh, and I felt that, that uh, you know, I've been on this for quite a bit where I feel that we must return to civility in public discourse. Unfortunately, that's been a huge casualty of our polarized politics and our polarized times. And my, I, I, do, a, I do a festival called Words Count which uh, basically, you know, is about, is the festival of words, because I think words do count. They do make a difference. You know, how you say things, when you say them, who you say them to, uh, can dis- make the distinction between dialogue and, and really, uh, you know, going your separate ways and finding no common ground. So I used to do this festival, of course, COVID, I've done two editions, COVID put the brakes on that. And then YouTube became a natural um, op- option. And, uh, so what I did is I pick topics for discussion and I put a panel together and the panel comes on. Like tonight, we'll be discussing uh, the recent killings in Kashmir. And we really need to talk about that because um, I won't want to say, I don't want to say it's alarming necessarily, but it's certainly of concern. And um, because uh, because teachers are being targeted, you know, these are people who, who, are, who contribute to society, who are, who are good human beings, who are any... Uh, political agenda with, with you know in their in their world so i so tonight we'll discuss that so these are the kind of conversations i like to bring informed people on people who know what they're talking about and to discuss this in a reasonable civil in-depth manner so that we can all come out of this not necessarily with solutions after all we're just we're just talking but certainly shed some light and context to what uh, to in the world that we're living in right now i think that's really important Yeah, and my dad's a big fan, and he's always watching the shows. Oh, really? How nice! Does he want to come on it? I'll ask him. So, ask him, ask him. It should be be private, like your parents. Yeah, I know, I know, I know. I think that generation is right. I mean, they just don't like to be in front. My parents are like that as well. Yeah, so you have some great guests, uh, and always creating some great content on the YouTube channel. And as a fellow content creator, that isn't easy. So how do you keep the content engine running? Because that's something a lot of people struggle with. And that's why they end up stopping. Well, you know, it's really trial and error. So I had my uh, YouTube page from last year. And I did it for a bit. And then I was like, nah, you know, (laughs) this isn't for me. Uh, I think there's a time for everything, you know. And uh, this June, I started working on it a little more seriously. And I mean, in the sense, became more regular on it, frankly. Uh, And uh, I went from like 1,100 followers to now I think about 23,000 something. Uh, Thank you. I mean, so so I think it was it was consistency. It was uh, it was being on there. It was, uh, you know, and, and the thing is content for someone like me, because it's so topical. That's not really that hard. You know, if there is, there is a, 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 you know, a hot button topic, then we just pull it out and discuss it. But yes, the challenge is in curating the right panel who will actually provide uh, different voices, different, um, and different, I don't mean voices that are in conflict with each other, but 
perspectives on an issue. So that that is that curation is very important, and to ensure that uh, you know the, uh, also to platform voices that we've not heard because increasingly what happens on TV now is that everybody regulars come on every topic. So it could be something to do with the law, it could be something to do with the automobile sector, it could be politics, it could be the economy, it could be science. And you have the same people coming and like pontificating on each of those subjects. It doesn't make any sense. <laughs> Sorry. So what we try to do on this channel is to bring in area experts, you know, to bring in people who have a point of view, who have a perspective, but not necessarily a platform. So that's always always my hope to do to be able to do that. And I'm very flattered because I've been doing that consistently. And uh, I think about three of my guests are now being pursued by mainstream media channels. And they're saying like, oh, we come on our show. So, so obviously, like MSM watches the channel and then tries to poach my guests. But but they won't get very far with that, I think, because, you know, even guests like to come on shows where they can talk and where they're just not sitting in a box like a houseplant. Uh, but, you know, they can actually, uh, you know, contribute to the conversation. And I think YouTube gives you that freedom. You know, it gives you the opportunity. Like my guests, um, they speak for three minutes, four minutes, depending on what they have to say. Right. Unlike on TV, you know, I mean, that just doesn't happen anymore. Yeah, again, that's exceptional. You went from 1100 to 23,000. And I'm sure in a matter of months, it'll be even 10x of that. And in due course, uh, in the hundreds of thousands, because there truly is a dearth of great content out there and creating good stuff. So well done and more power to you. You should come so, also. Yeah, I mean, as but you, as you, I don't know what you'd want to discuss, on, though. Yeah. So. There will be some options sometimes. Let's see what I can do. Because, of course, you know, um, there are a few things that are not you know, too well versed in uh, politics being one of them. But yeah, we'll, we'll no. But your it. your viewers, you know, whoever wants to come on onto some of our panels, you know, I do mm-hmm. want to start mm-hmm. like inviting viewers mm-hmm. on as panelists so that we in, increase the interactiveness and the engagement with our viewers because they're really loyal. I mean, my viewers are great. Um, they're always like cussing me out about something, but but they stay tuned in. Well. <laughs> yeah, you and saw that, thing, right? It's a good thing that you mentioned this because. How do you deal with, you know, haters and trollers? Because, I, I mean, one time I was watching one of your episodes and, and people were just at you. Like, they were just coming at you. Like, the comments, I'm like, oh my God. I mean, like, what's happening here, right? So, how do, you, how do you deal with that? Are you, like, ignoring that altogether? Like, tell me about that. Oh, uh, well, I mean, it just depends. Yeah, mostly I ignore it. You know, I mean, you you have to develop a thick skin. And now I've been in public life long enough. Uh, to to know uh, when when to engage and when to kind of say okay you're talking nonsense. I, I think I'm being trolled also today because uh, some Karnataka minister said that being single and uh, uh, he was speaking on like World Health Mental Health Day and said the issue is women being single and not having children. So I kind of said that come on get off the stage right. So the trads are on to me yeah. on on Twitter and now they're trolling me and. So, uh, you know, that's that's the world that we live in. And you can either let that uh, define your experience or you can say, OK, it's free speech. You have a right to say what you're saying as long as it's not threatening uh, and it's not hateful to communities or persons. Uh, or inciting violence, uh, then uh, I think I have no problem. If you want to cuss me out, go ahead. No problem. Yeah. I have the mic. Oh, so <laughs> you have the keyboard. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 
Yeah, and even, I mean, you mentioned Twitter, and of course, uh, you've got a fairly large following there, I think coming close to about 100,000 on follower uh, on Twitter, uh, most likely all organic, and even the Prime Minister follows yeah. it, which is like so wild. Well. Yeah. Um, so how's Twitter been as a platform? Because that's another place which is very, uh, I mean, it's not forgiving. I mean, it's one platform that I'm not on because I've just seen how when something is posted, how people really come, you know, at you. Uh, yeah, it, it's a swarm. Back, so. Yeah. Uh, well, I mean, I use Twitter primarily for amplification. I don't necessarily uh, do a lot of engaging on Twitter uh, because I I do agree with you. I think it's it's a bit of a it's a bit of a I guess a mob mob mentality kind of rules there, and uh, cancel culture is huge. So uh, you know, I don't think it makes really sense to be opinionating on everything over there. I don't. I. I. I it doesn't make a difference to anybody. Uh, most people don't really care about your life. Uh, they just want something to outrage about that day. And if you give that to them, then it's it's a good day for them <laughs> online. And one just has more to do than be on Twitter all the time. Uh, but I think I think it's an important space, nonetheless. I think. Um, uh, I certainly pick up a lot of the latest news and things like that from it, which wouldn't pop up in my world uh, if I wasn't on Twitter, you know. So it keeps me really updated on what's happening in the country, in the world. It gives me an opportunity to amplify. Like you said, you know, I'm nearly at going to be touching 100,000 soon if Twitter lets me because they do all the shadow banning and all this dodgy stuff also, depending on which ideological end of the spectrum you fall on. <laughs> so they're manipulative like that. Uh, but yeah, you know, I feel use these apps uh, for what they do for you, you know, okay. don't necessarily define your life or your online experience by what goes down here, uh, because uh, it's, 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 a, it's, it's an abyss, it can be. So don't be scared of it, but don't uh, don't spend too much time on it either. Because and now there are studies, uh, Gaurav. Uh, you have young kids, you know. Soon they're going to be on the internet and and all of that. Uh, Instagram, for example, is terrible. I read a study where it was terrible for you know the mental wellness of young girls because okay. it's all visual, it's all aspirational, and uh, you know you've got to keep up. So you know each one of these platforms comes with their risks and challenges. And I think as a society, we have to know how to engage and disengage uh, based on what our requirements are, because you cannot have uh, these platforms determine your mental health. And unfortunately, they do that. So true. Very true. And the key words again, you know, know when to engage and disengage. Because I see this, uh, you know, even, and you mentioned Instagram, interestingly, even over there, and it's possible, a lot of documents, a lot of stuff has been documented about what's happening to uh, you know young girls and you know, the, mm. um, the eating disorders and all that. Yeah. But I mean, even look at our age group. You know, when we talk about you know, when people take those holidays or when people you know are going out and buying those fancy things and putting them up there. You know, sometimes even amongst you know our friends and uh, people of all ages, there's uh, there's resentment. Um, there is uh, you know hard feelings. There's pressure. There's a whole mm. bunch of stuff. And I think yeah, yeah frustration. Engaging, yeah. Engaged. yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, that's Facebook. You know, everybody's on a holiday all the time. Who works on Facebook? I don't think anybody works on Facebook. Everyone's on holiday. Okay, so Facebook for me is like the most dull platform because I just think it's so fake. You know, everyone's happy. Everyone has great magic, great children, great parents, everything. And, 
And I think it's okay because on some level it helps you connect with people that you're not in touch with. So I think that's great. But lately, I don't know if you saw that whistleblower's account. Uh, she came on 60 Minutes, ex-Facebook employee. I seen uh, yet, yeah. yeah, last week. And she really spoke about how Facebook looks the other way and facilitates, you know, this uh, this polarization and hate in society. So, you know, there's there's a lot of money here. There's a lot of power here. There's a lot of diabolism. OK, that's that's the underground level. And then it's the more obvious that, you know, Woohoo, look at me. <laughs> I made it. So there's that. And and I just find it dull. You know, I just find it dull. Because um, you have to um, have like a deep interest in other people's lives in that way, you know, to find Facebook interesting. But again, you know, I mean, uh, the pages and all, you can certainly amplify content. And I use it uh, as a content creator. Essentially, all of these platforms, be it Twitter, Facebook, uh, even uh, LinkedIn, uh, to amplify content. And I think that would be a tip to, um, you know, content creators is, yes, sure, there's going to be one uh, something like, for example, because I discuss politics and current affairs, I know that Twitter is more of a natural home for my content and its amplification than Instagram or Facebook are because people are not really discussing politics and things like that to that extent on these platforms. Sure. But on Twitter, if you look at the trends, et cetera, and the conversations, it's usually about politics. So as a content creator, you know, figure out, you know, what's your niche? Are you a baker? You know, do you bake? Then I would say be on Instagram, you know, do a little bit of food porn, put your content out there primarily and focus on Instagram. Because, right. you know, otherwise you can hire a team if you have the resources to do that. But if you're doing it yourself, then focus on one um, platform that really kind of works and fits into your brand and the content that you're sort of providing. Yeah. Valuable advice. Um, focus on your one platform. Yeah, don't get too scattered. Well. Yeah, because you need conversion also, right? So yeah. if I'm on Facebook and I see, you know, I see, I mean... Uh, the engagement on my content in Facebook is very limited sure. because it's current affairs and politics and people are not really that into it. But my, the engagement on my uh, Twitter is is much higher because that's that's the platform where people who are interested in these topics come. Sure. Yeah, completely agree. So, of course, you know, this podcast is called uh, the Smash Smash, you know, yet not Dash podcast. And uh, just to touch upon, you know, and I know you've had some Smash Smash moments uh, in your life. So any that consistently, consistently. So that really, you know, stood out for you, or something that you'd be comfortable sharing? Uh, because I'd love to know what those were, and then also, you know, how perhaps you overcame that. But let's let's just go back first into you know one of those smash bash moments. Uh, you know that at the time just seemed to be uh, very very uh, tough to overcome. Oh my God! So many, so many. I I don't know which one to pick. Can you help me? Which one do you think? I don't know. I mean, uh, like I mean, you've seen all the time, but there have been a few. They yeah, have been a few. they but have. I'm just wondering, like you know, I mean, something that you know, when you think about uh, it, just you at the point you thought that I mean, will I ever get? Oh yeah. This? Okay. Yeah. 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 I got yeah. it. Okay. So I told you all I was a hotelier and I was doing well for myself. I was uh, working with the Oberoi, which I think is the finest like hotel company in the country, and <laughs> I quit and I went to Dubai. 
to work at Jumeirah, with Jumeirah. And I was very excited because I said, you know, um, this is an opportunity for me to, uh, and this was in, in my late 20s. So this was an opportunity for me to get international exposure and for a hotelier, international exposure is important. At that point of time, Dubai was actually bursting out and becoming a global city, like it already was, but this is pre-Burj Khalifa and all of that. So it was really coming into its own and it was a really exciting time to be there. So I went there. And uh, it just didn't work out. <laughs> it was the worst decision professionally. Also in terms of uh, fitting into that culture and all of that was just not a go for me. So after about six, seven months, I quit and returned to India. And I was extremely depressed at that point of time because I felt like, uh, you know, I was in with the Oberoi in Bangalore. I had great friends, great city, great life, doing well professionally. And I mean, I just kind of willed this on myself by taking the step and moving abroad. And uh, because it had only been six or seven months, I couldn't even apply back to the Oberoi because, you know, what do you say? I, I mean, it's it's not something that you can, you know, bounce out of a job and then come back. And, and I felt really low about it at that point of time. And uh, I remember one, and uh, my parents were relocating. They were moving from Mumbai back to Delhi. And, and uh, it was about a three-month thing. And said, um, you know, just take your time, figure out what you want to do with your life. And that's okay. You know, people can can have moments in their life when they need to recalibrate and reevaluate where they're heading and all of that. So I said, sure. So I was essentially hanging around at home. I remember I used to, <clears throat> my only outing was really walking my dog. You know, you all were in Delhi. And um, my friends from the Obroy were, of course, posted in different cities and busy at work. So it was a very lonely time. And um, then one evening, or one, uh, my mom said, you know, you've always liked writing. Why don't you try writing a book? And I said, um, I'm not sure if that's really something I can do. I'd never done it before. You know, I've written for myself, but I've never, ever done anything before. So I said, let me think about it. And uh, then uh, the next morning, I woke up and for some reason, I started writing. In fact, I must say, I actually, my old family, my cousins, all of us decided to walk to Siddhivanag barefoot. All right. So there's a slightly God heavenly intervention here. And uh, when we reached Siddhivanag, it wasn't far. I mean, it was, it was, you know, it's done in Bombay. People like do that. It's very common. So when I reached there, I just kind of went to him and said, please, you know, give me a pathway, give me some sort of uh, direction. Not really expecting any answers, but it's just something I did. Yeah, yeah. And I came back and then the next morning I woke up 5.36 and I started writing Gaurav and, and I kept writing and that turned out to be almost single. So yeah. if I had not quit that job mm -hmm. and had this crisis in my life in the, my late 20s, you know, I would not have been published even before I was 30 and sold two and a half lakh copies. And, and let me just say, I mean, quit my job is, is a polite way of saying it. They basically created a situation for me in that workplace where, you know, sometimes people do that, like where you can't continue. And it's, and it's a horrible situation to be in, but it happened. And so I quit because I had to, you know, and it was a horrible time, but, but look what it opened up for me. Yeah, thank you for sharing that. I think that so fits in with the theme where we say, you know, smashed past, you know, yet not dashed. Because mm -hmm. truly, I mean, you know, you decided that there was something to do and your bounce back was stronger than ever. And uh, 
And like I said, we go back many, many years now. There have been many instances. We don't want to get into you know, too many of them. But probably one day when you do write your book, uh, you know, there'll be a lot of. Uh, I just uh, hope you don't. I just hope you don't give interviews about me. That's it. I should get you to sign yeah. a contract now. Yeah, and and yeah. you know and, and non disclosure agreement and NDA, yeah. <laughs> you can't be you can't answer any questions about me. Yeah. Yeah. Yes, I have a lot of I know, and ditto vice versa. Although I think you've been relatively boring, but you know I can I can squirrel something out. Compared to Nick. Me, yeah, you were always like the stable one, right? I mean, you always let me talk, let me talk to your viewers about you. Now we've talked enough about me. So Gaurav was always had a plan, right? Always had a plan. He was constantly thinking and talking about things that when you're 16, 17, you're really not interested in. And these were things like I think Warren Buffett and the great next big idea and, and all these entrepreneurial things. And you're like, no, man, I don't want to talk about this. <laughs> and they were, and I remember that time around WWF was huge, right? So Gaurav goes and makes WWF cards, playing cards. And it became the rage. Like people wanted to buy them, exchange them, all of these things. I mean, it still doesn't make sense to me. It still does not. It does not make sense to me why people were even interested in that, but it worked. And he was making board games in school. Uh, then <laughs> then post-school and college when the bubonic plague hit, Nikhil, I think that was Nikhil's first uh, yeah. fashion designing moment was made that vulgar t-shirt that said, I survived the bubonic plague. And I think there was a rat and blood splattered on the t-shirt. I mean, I got a, I got a, I got a t-shirt for free from it, but I never wore it. It was horrible. So I think Gaurav was always entrepreneurial. You know, I talk about me having like 10 ideas, but, but they were in my head and they're story ideas, but Gaurav always had like multiple like business ideas. Like, you know, this will work. And we used to tease him that, Oh, you're obsessed with money, but, (laughs) but it's a different phase of life. Right now you realize now that I've seen how he's grown and built his own business all on his own, like just perseverance and years and years and years and years. I mean, I teased him about not going to college, but he was working even through college, you know, I mean, he may have been available for a matinee show, but he was working. He was, there were supplements, right? That time it was gym supplements. So he was working the whole time. He may not have been going to college, but he was at it. So I think, I think that has, uh, to me, I think my biggest learning from you has been how you've been consistent and persistent, very hardworking. That goes without saying. And you're also your ability and your openness to reinvent yourself. And I think that applies to all of us, you know, be it Nikhil, you, me, you know, we keep adding stuff, you know. So in my case, I wrote the book, then I wrote the film, now I'm doing YouTube. In your case, <laughs> I know how many businesses, right? And now you're doing your latest, which is, you know, mentorship and leadership leadership coaching and things like that same with Nikhil you know I mean clothes men women film uh, home styling I mean just so I think the lessons I don't know I mean I don't know if we learned these things from each other or we just had you know had them I'm not being self-congratulatory here but but really just being practical and uh, you know trying to make sense of it is is the fact that we were always uh, willing to answers and take risks and not be afraid of failing 
and having fun. I think that's that's a big one is just to be able to, you know, do these different things and have fun doing them. And yeah, thank you for sharing some of those things. And of course, you know, bring back fond memories. Uh, and completely agree. Like even today, I mean, I guess I run multiple companies and then it's, you know, some gifting pieces still there. We're back into board games. Uh, you know, doing, of course, the podcast. The GB is doing great. There's a lot of things happening at PNI, et cetera. But I think fun is a very important element. Yeah, and, uh, yeah. You know, and, and I see the same with Nikhil as well. And of course, we still catch up a lot. We do a lot of golf together. Nikhil was on the podcast as well. And, I and saw you that. Know, you guys all feature in the book as well, right? So my book's now with the publishers, and we have the book with the publisher. Name of- I didn't know this. I didn't know this. You didn't tell yeah. me. So it's uh, Success Resources, um, based on Singapore, and Success Gyan, which is their Indian uh, counterpart. So then the guys are going to be doing the Smashed Bash Yet No Dash book. And, oh, lovely. Uh, so that's going to have a lot of stories from uh, growing up and all of that. So interesting. And Nikhil's there, and you're there. And I'm there. Uh, have you been nice yeah. about me? Of course. Yes. Of course. So look out, look out. And when is it when is it coming out? Um hopefully before the event in November. So I'll be pushing them accordingly. So twenty uh, seventh November, hopefully. Oh great, then we well. then we should do like an interview on my uh, channel. Mm-hmm. Yeah, look forward to that one. In fact, when you stream these, you can also stream them on my channel if you want. Yeah, I'll do that. You can do some cross streaming so you get an audience, different yes. audience. So definitely. So definitely. So yeah, I mean, super shares and, and we'll go on for another 15 to 20 minutes, uh, you know, have some other interesting questions for you as well, Advaita. So you're involved in a lot of social initiatives. Uh, Project Bully during the pandemic was an example of that. And talk us through some of those initiatives and your plans over there as well. You've always been very generous and someone who's always giving back to society and trying to help in times of crisis. So social initiatives, and let's have some of your thoughts uh, on those and what's going on for you there as well. Well, you know, last year, because, uh, you know, my sister lives in New York, right? So I was tracking this pandemic and it hit uh, New York and all much before it hit us in that bad way. Uh, So, you know, I knew uh, exactly what these um, cities were going through. And when Prime Minister Modi said that uh, we're heading into a lockdown, um, to me, it was very obvious that the people who would suffer the most were not people like us who, you know, had fully stocked kitchens and, you know, had something in the bank and comfortable homes to live in. It was going to be the poor, uh, the migrant laborers and people like that. So a bunch of friends and I in Gurgaon, we set up Janta Rasoi. And it was a community kitchen that we served meals to. So we did fundraising. Uh, we uh, had a kitchen, two kitchens by the end of it, uh, wherein we create, made food for about 2,000 to 4,000 people a day, depending on what the requirement was, and then went out and distributed. I mean, so we did that for about eight, nine months. Uh, we did ration kits. We did food. So that worked well. Uh, and we fed, of course, thousands of people. And then uh, this year... Uh, in the early part of the year, there was a conversation about COVID moving to the villages of India in this wave. And I'm from Uttarakhand, as you know, Uttarakhand and UP, but um, Uttarakhand is, of course, uh, has far more developmental needs. So um, my fear was that there are such remote villages in the Himalayas where you cannot even, uh, you know, get there by car or anything. You have to walk for 15, 20 kilometers to get there. Uh, When people are sick, they have to be carried out in charpais and, and, you know, uh, lugged physically across kilometers to get to even medical help. And that doesn't get them to medical help, by the way. That gets them to a road. And then when you get on that road, 
then you find some sort of vehicle or transport that will take you to medical help. So it's a horrible, horrible circumstance to be in if you are in a health crisis. So Project Bully, my friend from school, Divya Bindra Kapoor, and I, we got together. She's she's from Wellams. She's a Wellamite. And uh, we got on board. Um, we were supported very generously by Abhinav Bindra, uh, the Olympian. And he supported, his foundation supported our initiative. And we created care packages for remote hill villages. So we sent in pulse thermometers, ivermectin, uh, medicinal packets for children also, syrups and things because kids don't have, uh, you know, pills. Steamers, vaporers are not necessarily a COVID defense, but definitely with the winter coming, um, <laughs> it's very good with congestion and the cold and all of that. So we did all of these things and we sent uh, sent them out, uh, rations, all of it. And we did this uh, in about uh, three phases and we covered about 15 villages and then things settled down a little bit. So now we're sort of on hold for a bit and uh, we're just waiting and watching like a lot of people are with COVID to see uh, what next, uh, how can we come in? Who knows? I mean, it may be, uh, you know, we do have a little money from what we've raised and uh, we could then uh, sponsor education because there are a lot of COVID orphans also now, by the way. So uh, we just didn't, uh, you know, and when we went out to the villages and things like that, we got a sense that uh, even the government was reaching nice. That was that was pleasant. So, you know, uh, that meant that we could even step back from this. And the rain started in Uttarakhand, which meant um, it became very difficult to reach certain places. So we uh, we did these 15 villages, then we stopped. Uh, Now we're going to watch, wait and watch and see what the aftermath is and whether we want to direct those funds to scholarships uh, or or something else or help, uh, you know, women, uh, widows, maybe set up self-help groups. So these are things that I keep doing. I mean, that's just, uh, I think if uh, God gives you a platform and gives you a voice and a certain amount of credibility, it's almost incumbent on you to use that to help other people. It's a karmic thing. <laughs> So, of course, you mentioned women and women empowerment. You've always been very independent. So, thoughts on what's changing for women on the whole in India and your outlook for women in general in the years ahead? Well, I mean, you know, um, two steps forward, two steps back, right? I think it continues to be a battle. I think it continues to be a struggle. In fact, earlier today, I spoke to a university in Bhopal about success and women. And, uh, you know, it was it was in Hindi. It was something that I delivered in Hindi. And, and I told them, I said, you know, um, you have to make a distinction between pragati and safalta, which is progress and success. Uh, there has to, you have to be able to realize that the two are not the same thing. You know, so you may find or seek success in, uh, say, being a housewife, you know, and being a householder and, uh, you know, taking care of your family, raising your kids, all of those things and contribute, uh, you know, say, citizens to society who know how to treat other people, boys who know how to treat girls, who contribute, who are good citizens. And that will lead to progress. So, you know, don't define success by the male definitions or by definitions of society. You know, you may prefer to be in a career, for example, and that may be your priority. And that's that's for you is success. You're maybe as a woman, you're opening doors to other women in a field. 
where there aren't so many women. And that leads to progress. So my my thing is that very often we think success equals progress, which means that, oh, if you're in a high-powered job or if you're in the public eye, then you're successful and you're progressive and you're con. No, I think even if you do small things in life, you know, or what we consider small because our definitions of success are so flashy and so Wall Street, <laughs> you know, doesn't mean, doesn't mean that you're necessarily contributing to progress. You could be successful for yourself. You could be, you could be buying your jets and living your lifestyle and going on your holidays and indulging yourself and, and you're successful for yourself. But are you contributing to progress? Not really. So I think we need to kind of redefine success as women and as individuals. This is not even a gender thing, but as individuals, we need to redefine success and see if that works towards progress of society, of the country. These, are these I think, are very important things. And I certainly view my own success in those terms. You know, if, if I have success, it's not necessarily before, because I can afford something or because five people recognize me or my name. No, it's because am I able to take that success and make it a contributing factor in the progress of this nation? of my country. I think you definitely on the part there because you are helping out in amazing ways, uh, basis all the things that you've been doing as well. So what are the next few years actually looking like uh, you know, for you? Have you actually got you know, that far? No, see, I'm, Gaurav, I'm not you. <laughs> if someone asked you, what are the next 20 years looking like? You can tell them. I'm not you. I've never been you. <laughs> I don't yeah. think I can start now. I have no idea. <laughs> all right. But maybe you can help me plan. Of course, of course. So we'll, we'll line up a, a chat, not on the 27th, but before that, we get together for lunch and have a conversation. About All that, right. Uh, as well. Sounds sure. good. Sounds good. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, um, like I said, you know, this is, of course, a slash bash, uh, you know, get no bash podcast. And uh, a lot of people, okay, a lot of people, this is maybe concluding a couple of questions. So, you know, a lot of people have in the past, not only the past 18 months, but even prior to that, you know, they've had their smash bash moments, you know, as have you. Um, what would be your advice, uh, you know, to them in particular in terms of you know, overcoming this and, and your advice to them? You know, I feel that sometimes we push ourselves to work in situations and with people who we're not comfortable with at an organic level. Because we think that that's the right thing to do for our careers or for our progress in a particular field. My learning in the last couple of years has been that please work with people that you trust, that are uh, in line with your value system in life, you know, and uh, can be uh, an enriching experience. Because, see, we're not just about the work. You're just not about hitting the bottom line or making the money. You're about the process and how, and you're giving your time. I mean, there's nothing more important than your time, your time, your mind space to certain people, to certain situations, to certain work areas. So you have to make sure that the people that you're investing your time in, you know, that's far more valuable than your money are worth it and are going to add value to your life. So I think choose who you work with carefully just like you would choose who you marry, et cetera, et cetera. You know, I think that's that's something that I've learned that is very important. And then you may not be smashed that often. You may get dashed sometimes, but certainly not smashed or bashed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Okay. 
Yeah, be mindful of who you spend time with, and of course, uh, yeah, yeah, and and you know, people who lift you up. You know, there are a lot of situations in life when you progress or you do better than people who were from a certain stage in your life don't necessarily want to walk with you for their own reasons yeah. because because they may feel that they are being left behind or your world is changing, and then there is there are human emotions of you know, resentment, envy, all of those things. And then there are going to be those people who are thrilled for you, you know. And um, I think you need to choose the ones who are going to bring positive energy into your life and positive vibes. And, uh, you know, just you need to move on as you evolve doesn't mean a bad thing. It's not a bad thing. I think it's it's a very natural thing. So couldn't agree more. And uh, be mindful about who you're spending your time with. And uh, you know, one of my team members actually had an interesting question for you. And this pertains to getting credit for what is rightfully yours. And of course, you know, they're big fans of yours, uh, you know, young girls uh, in the office as well. And uh, big fans when it comes to the books and the movies. And they want to know about how writers in particular are sometimes not given their due, especially in cinema. You know, they aren't paid the best and, and rarely will you see their names in the movie posters. And even when the movie has been a blockbuster, rarely do you hear about the writers. So your thoughts on that in particular? Yeah, you know, Gaurav, you know, I told you uh, that, you know, I love to be home and I'm an introvert and all of those things. I think I think you see those aspects of me, uh, you know, although I mean, I'm very comfortable with all of you. So it's probably not the primary characteristic you see, but out in the larger world. Um, so for me, I have had these experiences when I've been denied credit, when when I've been bullied out of my contribution and all of those things. And I realized that the only way to stand up to this is to get stronger, which meant developing more of a public profile, which meant being out there a lot more so that you don't just remain a name, but but you rem- become a person, you know, who, who stands for something and who will be heard when things are done wrong, when you're wronged. Because when these things happen to me, I was not in a position to fight back because they had the money, they had the contacts, contacts, they had everything. I was just one individual. I didn't have the profile. I didn't have any of those things. So I realized at that point in my career that I have to really step up. And, you know, I used to hate going on TV. I used to will myself to go on TV because I was just say that, no, I mean, if I have to be strong and if I have to be taken seriously, I have to build a profile because because the world is cruel, you know, and I'm very happy that today because I'm able to do that, I'm able to help other writers, you know, when they're denied credit and things like that. Some of them come to me and they say, like, you know, can you make a stink about this or can you support us on this? And I do it and I do it because because they're so used to us being background workers that, you know, I mean that nobody will care no media will will want to pay attention to any time any time that we've been wronged so they can get away with anything so you know i think my advice to anyone who finds themselves in these situations is to step into your own power to recognize your own power and step into it because we all have that within us we just choose to let it lie latent or to ignore it or not use it i decided to fan that flame and to say that I'm going to step into my power. I may not be the most powerful person in the world, but I will have a voice when something goes wrong. And that to me was very important. Super. That was the ultimate 
uh, more people really need to reach out to you and have greater access to you. So where, Advaita, can listeners and viewers actually find you and the great content that you're actually putting out there? On Twitter, at Advaita Kala. And on uh, YouTube, uh, I'm at uh, youtube.com slash Advaita Kala now. Uh, you can catch the content on there. You can drop us a message there. And either I will or my team will engage with you, get back to you. And yeah, the world is a smaller place now. So true, so true. So I just want to conclude by saying thank you, Beth. You are one of the smartest people I know. And uh, you know, you go far. Doesn't uh, say much I, for the people you know. <laughs> go yeah, so so uh, I, I know one thing for sure that you, know, you are going to go far uh, you know, as a broadcaster, you know, as someone who's a champion for women's rights, uh, you know, and, and more. And uh, maybe some days, uh, who knows, maybe even, um, you know, go far in politics as well and make things uh, happen. I'm happy being well. a commentator, but but thanks. <laughs> Be careful what you wish for, Gaurav. I may use my power on you then <laughs> to persecute you. <laughs> well, hopefully you shouldn't have a need to do that. But I appreciate it. And you know, like I said, uh, you know, great to have you here. Thank uh, you. Ask your parents. Uh, they, they are two of my favorite people uh, in the world as well. And uh, always been and we we love you and we're so proud of all that you're doing and uh, your little empire that you've built, which uh, I'm looking forward to seeing you on some lists soon. Yeah. <laughs> soon. Yeah. So, thanks so much, Adveta. Like, Thank you. Um, ladies and gentlemen, Adveta Kada, follow her, check out her YouTube channel. She's there every Sunday on the Sunday shows and then she's doing shows all the time. Um, it's not meaningless, um, you know, noise. It truly is amazing stuff. My dad is, is very judicious on where he spends his time and he loves uh, Advaita sessions as well, as do many others. So definitely do follow Advaita. And Advaita, thank you once again for being on the Smash Bash, Get Not Dash podcast. And look forward to having you on again in the future on one of our forums. Thank you and take care. Thank you.